having reached that age, that age where everybody was, you were going to regret it. And being able to look back and say without hesitation, no regrets. Hi, I'm Anna Olson, and you're listening to We're Not Kidding, a podcast devoted to sharing stories surrounding the child-free life. As a life coach, I'm passionate about helping women feel confident and empowered in their choice not to have children. And I believe that by sharing our stories, we help break the stigma. So let's dive in. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I have been... So excited to set this episode up. It uh, feels very special to me. I am speaking with the one and only Marsha Dret Davis, who some of you may know as the child-free guru. Um, she's a pioneer in the child-free movement. She has written two best-selling books, Confessions of a Child-Free Woman and What? You Don't Want Children? And she has now been on two documentaries revolving around the idea of being child-free, To Kid or Not to Kid by Maxine Trump, and My So-Called Selfish Life by Teresa Schechter. Marsha, welcome. (laughs) I'm so happy. You know, the more we touch people's hearts, the more we get to people understanding where we're coming from, the better. So, you know, this has been decades of me walking the path, and I will never stop as long as I can walk. And I think even if I can't walk, I will never stop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, personally, you have been such an inspiration to me. I have felt so excited to be able to message you on Instagram and you responded and I was like, what? This is wild. (laughs) And I just think that's such an example of who you are to this community. You are open and loving and and here for us. So thank you. Well, you know, I mean, I need you to carry on this torch because I'll be 80 very soon. And let's face it, that sands of time are turning down. So if I can reach you to be one of those lights, so to speak, and then you reach others, well, hello, that's what I'm looking for. And it's sad. It's so sad. From 1974, we're still in the dark ages. It's getting better, but we're still in the dark ages about child freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I was reflecting before this call that today, the day that we're recording is International Child Free Day. And you were you were quickly into that movement and a and a president of a chapter, I believe. Originally the it was called the National Organization for Non-Parents. And I had read The Baby Trap, which is my um here it is. I always keep it with me. It's like my childhood Bible. Mm. Um, the Baby Trap, which was the first and only book out by my friend. I mean, she wasn't my friend then, but became my friend, Ellen Peck, who sadly died from breast cancer too young in her 50s. And at the end of the book, it was like, oh, God, I, I think I devoured it. I think I ate it. I think I ingested it. <laughs> um, decided that, yeah, that's me. I'm not I'm not in need of psychological help. I think that's me. Went in, met Ellen Peck, joined the force, became president of the Long Island chapter, and our first chapter had 65 people, which blew me away. Wow. Yeah. And that was in 1974 when you joined? A big year. And, and I helped her do the first convention of the child-free movement. I mean, I met people that were just like astounding to me, including Isaac Asimov. I was in his apartment. He wrote a ditty for me. And um, Bella Abzug, who was an, an amazing woman. All the big 
you know, the big people who supported this movement. And 60 Minutes was there filming. And they said to me, hey, we understand that you're going to tell your in-laws that you don't want to have children. And I said, well, yeah, we're finally deciding. Yeah. And they said, can we go with you? And they said, what do you mean? Well, you know, just to your in-laws home. And I looked at my then husband and said, should we do this? And he said, yeah, why not? And that was the beginning, boy. That threw me into the fire. Mm. The first time I ever knew what the word pronatalism really meant, because I lost my job as a result of it. I was edited, brutally edited, to the point where it looks like I'm the big bad bitch, you know, and my husband just stared, staring there, going back and forth, and oh my God, what is she going to say next? And I just never knew all those things existed, but it lit a fire under me. <laughs> it was like, no way. So it led me to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I just devoured your book, um, The Confessions of a Child-Free Woman. And you talked in detail about that. And I was struck by how, you know, personally as someone who's child-free and navigating the backlash that there still is today in 2022. And my own mother is very disproving of my choice. And you had all of those layers, even amplified, because this is 1974. And then you had the extra layers of it being broadcast, it being edited to show you differently than the conversation that you had envisioned and had. And my question is just, how did you get through all of that? That's a good question. There were times I didn't think I could. I mean, when you're faced with picketing, because, you know, I lost my job as a teacher. So I took on the, the goal of speaking and speaking to high school seniors who at that time, there was a huge amount of unwanted pregnancies. And I, it wasn't that I was saying, don't ever be a parent. I was saying, wait until you know if you're parent material and if this is what you want. I faced picketing with parents' signs saying, godless bitch, stay away from my children, and death threats, and my dog's life was threatened. And it was just like, for a while, I said, I don't think this is all worth it. But you know what happens when you have a passion and, a, and you get, it actually just made me angrier. Mm. And I came back and, and, and here I am. <laughs> Years yeah. later, still telling the story and hoping to reach more people. And, but looking at the world now and what's happening with the child free movement, because it's, it's dreadful in some countries. And the second book talks about that. Just dreadful what's happened. Mm. Can you expand on that? Yeah. One of the chapters talks about a woman in Greece who, if she stands next to a person that has a child, the person with the child will pull her away from her because she feels that she'll be able to catch some of the bad spirits from that person being child free. Um, there's a woman in Africa, a doctor, who can never tell anybody she doesn't want to have children because she would lose. She First of all, they would think of her as a man. That's what she told me. And she would lose her job as a, as a uh, doctor. I mean, the stories have astounded me internationally. Blew me away for, for what they shared with me. I have one woman from, it was Poland. I forget which one it was. But she said that when she told her father that she never wanted to have children, he said to her, 
you know, your mother wanted to abort you and I fought to have you. And now I wish she had aborted you. <gasps> this young lady had to hear her father say that. Yeah, I had the gasp too. Wow. And I don't think these are made up stories. I think these were heartfelt and heart, you know, suffered, if you would. And um, I mean, there are some countries that you'll be stoned if you dare. And if you can't have children, then your husband can marry another woman to provide that child to you in some cultures. Oh, wow. So as bad as it is here in America, it's pretty bad. Other places, even worse. Yeah, right. I think that is an important perspective to bring into this conversation, too. Yeah, we forget about other countries, and I think they're suffering even more. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even talk about it. I mean, I, some, if I were to send my physical book, it would be taken and not allowed to go. That's why I don't send to international anymore, because sometimes they take it and they won't allow it to go to the recipient. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pronatalism. Yeah. Ignorance. Pronatalism. Mm. Religion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, perception. What's right? What's wrong? I mean, I still have a neighbor who yells out at me, child-free hater. See what? And she's gone around the neighborhood. I have people who turn their backs on me as I walk my dog. They think that I'm some kind of scourge on this planet. This is 2022. Right. <laughs> what? Yeah. Take my head and say, onward, we need to do more. There is something, at one point in your book, um, the memoir, you write that increased acceptance around the choice is not full acceptance. Right. And I'm wondering, how do we get there? By what you're doing, by what I'm doing, by speaking our truths, not with fear, but with pride, as any parent seems to have. Why should we be fearful of saying what we want in our personal lives? It is not a reflection on us being anything but beautiful human beings with other plans for our future. We need to encourage honesty, excitement, just like when you get, you know, um, the excitement of the burst balloon as to if it's a boy or a girl, we should have that too. You know, guess what this is? Well, it's not a kid or it's the birth of a dog or it's the birth of a book or it's the birth of a, of a course I'm taking, you know, the same kind of excitement as to the reveal. And I, I mean, I wish I would see more, you know, child-free reveal parties. <laughs> that would be a hoot. I know. <laughs> or showers. I love the idea of a non-baby shower. You know, that would be so fun if people would start doing that. And although it's funny, it's real. And why not? Yeah. Right. I think we all deserve to be celebrated for our choices that I mean, because what's the difference between a parent or a to-be parent choosing to have kids and getting that celebration as someone who's choosing a different path in their life? And being we do celebrated. not celebrate enough. We do not celebrate enough. And you know, when I really get to see it on these cruises that I posted, when these groups of people get together and the joy and the fun, I mean, we have shirts that say, you know, this one says Child for Alaska. The funniest thing is on the last cruise I was in, the elevator with a mother holding her little one and she looked at my shirt and she went you don't know what you're missing and I said I do know what I'm missing <laughs> <laughs> she 
puffed and puffed and walked out, you know, and that's the kind of fun that we should be having and not fear of who we are and what we are. And let me tell you, so many of the people who are child-free are doing so much for the planet, for each other. They're dedicated teachers, they're dedicated doctors, they're dedicated um, nurses, and, and not just professionals, they're dedicated people to their jobs, um, to the ecology, to passions you know, that they have other than whatever their work is day to day. So that needs to be expressed with honor that they have more time for that. I mean, when I, when I taught, I did get back to teaching because I remarried the last husband fell in love with my girlfriend. And so goodbye, good riddance. And the one that I married, I had a new name. So I was able to get back into teaching and oh. I had more time to be that dedicated teacher because I didn't run home to my children. You know, I had a little dog Buffy waiting for me, but that's, you know, it's my fur kid, but not the same, not the same. So I could step off and visit the families and go to the library because in those back in the 90s, we still had libraries. We didn't have what kids have now. And I would go to garage sales and pick up stuff to teach English as a second language. And I had that time and I loved that time as being a teacher because I could devote more of it. And yet we're selfish. <laughs> We're hedonistic, we're unloving, we're uncaring, blah, 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 blah. Ignorance. Yeah. Just sheer ignorance. So, yeah, we need to speak up more. And I'm thrilled to do this with you, and I hope you keep interviewing others. And Yeah, yeah I was really struck in your book at how you do talk about teaching and the incredible relationships you developed and I was really touched incredible, incredible. I can't show you because I put all my pictures up on the top but I have my kids my, my my school kids in my life I have right now on a cruise with their families I have Anna and Annie twins who are on the way to Bermuda they've been in my life since the 90s and I now consider myself a grandma of their kids the school kids I call it school school grandma I have a, a lovely woman that has a little boy who my husband actually walked down the aisle when her parents didn't. Um, she's a part of our life and calls us almost every single week, sometimes twice and three times a week. There's my little Vietnamese darling, Hung, who just came and visited with her little boy and little girl. And whenever I'm in Pennsylvania, I go visit her as much as I can. She's on the phone with me at least once a week or more. And sometimes she'll call just to say, I just need to hear your voice. You know, it's that heart connection that I have. I have one going back to 1973, that's Susan. And then one going back to 1965, Denard Tyson, who was my first little boy that ever touched my heart. And I, I kept him in my heart and in my life for years. He's now a grandfather. <laughs> Don't tell me that. You're just a seven-year-old in my class, please. <laughs> and, I, and I visited him in New York and he picked me up and he goes, hey, teach. I went, what happened? <laughs> you were a seven-year-old. <laughs> How did this happen? But yeah, so you, could, you can nurture so many different ways. It doesn't have to be your own children. It could be your neighbor's kids that want to come over and talk to you. It could be um, so many kids out there that want you or even young adults. I mean, I'll be 80. So some of the people in my life are 60 who I enjoy being with. And, you know, one is very ill and I'm, I'm with her at least as much as I can because she can't be with too many people because of COVID. 
but there's a joy in giving and because you get back so much more. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Like what a powerful example of the impact and the generosity of a, of a child-free person on others in your story here. And I don't want to take away from those people that don't want to be with children. That's yes. perfectly fine. You yes. should be with children. You know, you can give yourself to planting trees or, or just helping your own inner child. There's an inner kid in you that needs self-love and needs to be nurtured. That's nurturing. Mm. You know, it's, the word nurturing is usually put next to mothering or fathering, you know, no, you could be the best auntie on this earth or uncle, but sad to say, you know, the word parent rises to a level that is bigger than big. Many don't deserve that praise. Recently, I have to do this quietly because she'll, she'll, oh, I see her, A-L-E-X-A, get it? Okay. I asked her, what is international non-parents day or child-free day yeah she she, she had no clue and I said well what is mother's day and she answered what is father's day and she answered and I said do you know that there's another day and she didn't answer because she didn't know what I was saying and uh, I I said are all mothers and fathers to be applauded on their you know in the conversation with (laughs) a-l-e-x-a she's right there she'll talk back (laughs) and she was very confused. And then a few days later, because I think other people did that, I asked her the same question and there was an answer with Wikipedia. Oh, wow. See what I'm saying? The more we talk, the more we act, the more we're aware of where we can act and what we can say, the better it is. Because then the word gets out. Hmm. It gets out. I've been waiting to get out for a long time. (laughs) because you have had such a span of years being child-free speaking up about being child-free you know what has that time span been like have there been moments of hope or lost hope or what is it yeah I have never lost hope Mm. I refuse to lose hope and there has been subtle changes for the better there has been I mean, you take a look at just the name of books out there where it once was the baby trap. Just look under child free and you see a myriad of books. Recently, a, a dear heart that I just connected to wrote The Wild Egg. I don't know if you've seen that. Jennifer Flint, she, um, I recorded with her too. Hers air She's right my before soul this. Sister. Well, she gave me that book to read because she wanted my opinion. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it because, you know, if you don't like it, you don't want to say to them, I don't like it. It sucks. But I couldn't stop reading that book. And she wrote a novel, which hits every point of anybody who has faced this choice, this decision, this lifestyle. I mean, she even changed the ending a bit when I read it. And I said, I don't like this ending. (laughs) I don't know. It doesn't work. And she changed it. So, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Novels. There's another book, which is a novel. That's unusual Mm. that you have stories using the child-free dilemma in it. Or I should say the child-free challenge. Yeah. Takeaway dilemma. (laughs) Takeaway problem. Challenge. (laughs) 
look what's going on. I mean, I think Ellen Peck would look and say, oh, my Buddha, what's going on here? <laughs> look what I started. Yeah, I have been devouring uh, Wild Egg as well. It is, like you said, well she well hits done. on everything. It is good. And it's a fun read. <laughs> In part of your book, Confessions of a Child-Free Woman, you pose this question and I had to pause when I read it. I think it's in talking about pronatalism and you write, does advertising mimic life or does life mimic advertising? Well, what was your answer? Snuck uh, <laughs> <laughs> in before I could ask you. Um, <laughs> well, definitely it seems like life mimics advertising. Oh, well, hello. Turn on any TV, just turn it on and see how any product, and I'm not talking about Pampers or Gerber food or anything like that, because that is necessary to have children in it. But the products that are depicted with children are ridiculous. There's one that, oh, every time I see it, I just want to go through the TV and just shake them. I think he's an insurance person. And he has his two little boys there saying, call my dad. He's the best, you know. What does that have to do? First of all, am I going to call anybody because a kid says, call my dad? Right. Seriously? Tell me a person that used you and loved you. Tell me a person that you helped. Yeah. Call my dad. It's it's not necessary. And his feeling is a, look at me. I'm a father. I got two kids. Hey, boy. You know, my sperms are great. (laughs) (laughs) Who cares? Oh, yeah. I, I sometimes tell people who say to me, oh, you know, you're being a little excessive. No, I'm not. Because that teaches you the expectations of what people want, that family. And it is. And But lately, it's been mixed families. It's been children who are adopted. I saw an ad today with a woman and a, you know, a different kind of look than her Asian child. And I thought, OK, that's good. But you don't need that kid in the mm this ad you know so yeah there's a big change but yeah boy you have no idea how much we are pressured into thinking through the ads through movies even art that Mm. that the madonna and child i mean think about all the precious artwork that has has a child in it it's effective because then we begin to say well why don't we want this or i don't want this but Maybe I should want this stuff, you know, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's so pervasive to the point where it's like, I think about my upbringing. Sure, there was the religion. We didn't hang out with any child-free people per se that I knew of. Yeah, and then you layer on the media and pregnancy ads where it's not, okay, if there's a negative and they're excited, it's okay, but not now. Like maybe one day. in the future. It's still like- Oh, but, she's a woman. Uh, yeah, but it, it, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Nobody says, woohoo, I didn't want it. I don't want it. Are you kidding me? If we ever saw that, I think I'd pass out. <laughs> you have to pick me up and resuscitate me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yet, the only way I've ever taken a pregnancy test was hoping for a negative, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and now look what's going on with Roe v. Wade and all right. the of that and how that's taken away from women oh I am so glad I was never only once when I was first married to my first husband do not judge me I leave them when I have to leave them because they're worth leaving 
So the first husband, I had a pregnancy scare and they thought I was pregnant. And I'll never forget that feeling of sheer, sheer terror. Now, this was before I even read the baby draft. Oh. 1966. I didn't even know what child free meant. I never heard the word. But luckily, it was because of pills I was taking and it was something that didn't take effect and I wasn't pregnant. But my first husband was like, yeah, I, I did it as if the egg has nothing to do with it. I did it. You know, like, I'm a man. You know. And he went on to marry and he had a son, of course, a doctor. What else? A Jewish doctor. So <laughs> it was that moment. I'll never forget it saying, well, now I have to eat better. And, oh, God, there's something inside of me. Oh, my God. Do I really want this? Am I ready for this? And then thinking, should I even be thinking about this? This is what I am. I'm a woman. This is what I've been raised to do. And it was truly terrifying. Mm. Truly terrifying. But I never had to choose between keeping or not keeping. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. One of my forever students uh, uh, had her second child. She called me actually right after the birth. And she said, I'm very concerned. I may have a Down syndrome child. What do I do? And luckily, I got her to get a lot of support and a lot of help within the hospital that she wasn't aware was there. It's tough. And it's tough. Because he's not a high-functioning Down syndrome. He's low-functioning. So I watch her and I go, whoa, she's amazing with me. Just amazing. So no, I never had that. Something else that I've seen you talk about, I think both in the book and then in the filmmaker conversations that Teresa Schechter did, and you're in two of, well, you're in one or two of them. One of hers and one of Maxine. It's Maxine, but no relationship. I have to say that. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, there was a Q&A and someone called in and was asking how to tell her, I think it was her in-laws, that she and her husband didn't want to have kids. And you spoke about coming at it, understanding where the parents were coming yes, from. Yes, they are overwhelmingly horrified. Think about the pressure amongst potential grandparents to show well, actually, it's not photos anymore. It's their iPhone pictures of their 4,000 grandchildren. Yeah. And that pressure to be amongst those who are grandparents is amazing. And that's also a big ad situation on uh, television where they have a man who's taking, uh, I don't know, Metamucil. And because I want to play with my kids, my grandkids, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I mean, I think I'm exaggerating the Metamucil, but I think that's pretty funny. But that's what I'm <laughs> talking about. You know, it's like, talk about the Metamucil. It has nothing to do with your grandchildren. Um, Right. That kind of thing. Yeah, they suffer. Because amongst peers, you're lauded. If you can say, I'm a grandmother, I'm a grandfather. You've reached the pinnacle of success. Look at the obituaries. When they start to list, you know, um, uh, a mother of such and such, uh, listing the grandchildren, the more grandchildren you have, you had a good life. Really? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Right. You have to empathize with their disappointments. They think they've done something wrong, that maybe they didn't raise you with enough love, or sometimes they didn't. But whatever is the reason, whatever is the reason, 
these parents expect to be grandparents is the icing on the cake of parenting. Mm. They want to play and then give them back. Yeah. How do you have empathy and compassion for them while also holding your own in these conversations? That's like that. Because we go back again to what I said before. If you have pride, if you have respect for your own choices in life, that will exude into understanding what they're going through. And you take their hands and you say, I know this is hurting to you. And I, I and it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with me and my choices in life, what I want to do. Now it's a little easier. You can use the excuse of the planet and the climate change and the floods and the fires and all the horrific things. You could lie, you know, but I don't encourage that. I say, just speak your heart and speak your truth because that's when you get the pride. Mm. At the same time, taking their hands because you may find tears or you may find anger, mm. you know, outright anger. You do this to us. You know, this is horrible. What are we going to tell our friends? And just say, I understand that's really, it's really sad for you. But I hope you're happy for me when you see my life. Mm. Yeah, I know that you had some negative feedback from your in-laws. How did it go with your parents? And how did you navigate that? Well, my in-laws wrote a poem for me. Who will take care of your worldly goods? The junkies, the robbers, or just the plain hoods? But this is how our story ends. Our children, though married, are really just friends. Mm. That was her take. My mom interestingly was more stoic she really loved being a mom and she went through an ectopic pregnancy and she lost a child I mean she wanted a second child when she remarried my stepfather she had my sister Robin who was 15 years younger than me so it's like she raised two separate children and I would marvel at her taking care of an infant and a teenager are you kidding me And she was the only television repair woman in the United States. So she had a full-time business. So I don't know. I mean, we had somebody helping every day because she couldn't do it all. She could not do it all. But my mom never said why or how come. She, because she gave me unconditional love. And I think the fact that my sister gave her a granddaughter. And then as she was dying, my mom was dying my sister was very pregnant with her son and I remember standing there and I remember my mom hearing and acknowledging Robin saying it's going to be a boy Mm -hmm. so she knew there were two children I think that took away some of the pressure on me but I think she always felt disappointed because she loved being a mom and she thought I was missing out and Mm -hmm. didn't know the kind of connection I would have with my school kids and other kids and other humans on the planet so I feel bad. She never knew that I wrote these books. She never knew that the, the documentaries, you know, she never knew that. I mean, that's a loss, but others do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You say in your book that being child-free was the best or the most important decision is how you phrased it that you had ever made. And this was in the context of you were dating your current husband now, I think at the time. And so that was 30 years ago or so. Exactly. Yeah. Um, do you still feel that way today? That it was, was the best thing for me. Now, remember my husband now has two biological children from uh, his marriage 
And I write very, very openly about that experience and how my eyes widened every day because I thought I was a teacher. I could handle children. Well, I could not. I mean, I was thrown into the fire of reality. And even though I thought, I know more than parents, I've taken courses. They've never even taken a course. I can handle uh, um, arrogant teenagers. Well, no, I couldn't. It was awful. And they have since divorced both of us. We have mm. nothing to do. And it isn't so bad for me as it is for Jim. Nothing to do with those children quote, children who are now adults and mothers have children of their own. The grandchildren have never met Jim. They don't even know that he's alive. Um, wow. but, for, but I still feel, you know, for me, it was the best choice. And interesting, after therapy, Jim has let go of that expectation that your children will be with you forever. And there were very many sad people in nursing homes facing that reality. I faced that reality when I faced cancer. And in my second book, I have a whole chapter of what that rejection, that, that cancer rejection did to me as I stood there getting chemo. And I, and I looked around and I saw what I thought were children being there with their parents. I had my beloved husband, Jim, with me. But I looked around the room and I saw all these kids and I went, whoa, my branch is going kaflunk. And there's nobody there for me. None of the kids. I mean, I'm a husband, of course. But then I began asking when they would leave, who was that? And they say, oh, that's um, my niece. Or that's a neighbor. Or that's, um, you know, my, my student who's visiting. It wasn't just children. And in fact, in speaking with these people, because we're lying there, you know, taking in this poison that saved our lives. At least it saved my life. I sometimes wonder about the people near me. But you look around the room and you look at the nurses and the doctors who adore you and care for you and, and are there for you. And there are no guarantees that even in facing cancer or facing an illness, that their children, first of all, can be there, have not predeceased you, are living close enough to you, are not sick themselves or estranged as my husband has faced. And he has come away after therapy with peace. He raised two daughters. They're decent human beings. He enjoyed being a father. And like the birds, when they push the little birdies out of the nests after they fed them and nurtured them, given them their wings, they let them go. So he's let them go with mm. pride, not with hurt, with pride in what he's done. And I applaud him for that. And me, I mean, I was devastated too. I had a part of their life and people have faulted me. How could you say a child's name when you once was a step parent and you took care of those two kids? Well, they were not in our homes 24 hours a day. They did visit. They spent two vacations of hell with us. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. But I was not their mother. They had a mother. At best, I was hoping to be a friend. And it's mm. different than raising anybody's kids. So that's a whole other topic, the step parenting, and that comes up a lot. Yeah. Comes up a lot. Just thinking about all those things that people say to child-free people, like we've just been talking about, you'll regret it when you're older, or you won't know real love, all those things. That's my yeah. favorite. I, that's what I was going to ask, like, what, what's your favorite one? 
no real love until you've had your own child. I mean, seriously. Seriously. For some, maybe. Maybe that's true. And that's lovely. How lucky for those kids. But I don't have real love for my mom, who I was lucky enough to have a good mom, and my dad and my stepdad. I don't have real love for the children that I taught. I don't have real love for myself, which is perhaps the most important love you can have. That yes. took therapy to get to that point. <laughs> and not for being child-free. It's just life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's crazy. You don't know real love. Look what that does to the people who um, have been trying and, and, and going through the stages of grief to reach acceptance. And some never do that. In fact, on our cruise, we have Hugo and Alicia who are going to speak to that topic. They were less. They had tried everything in the book, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get that beloved baby and finally said no more. So now they're free and they're going to talk about from less to free. You should really put them on your show. They're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to connect with them. Things they say. And if you think about it, very often, those are the things that sold them on being a parent and they took the bait and some of them don't really enjoy parenting. So they'll put it on you. Well, you don't. And, yeah. and, oh, one more. So important. This is really important. When I first read the baby trap and breathed for the first time, then I became angry and I was feisty. A lot of our child-free people are angry and feisty and in your face and trying to prove something. And that's only because they have not seen the pure beauty of the lifestyle. Once you know that, you're not angry. Mm -hmm. If anything, you're just kind of feeling, well, I'm good. <laughs> I'm sorry you don't see that, but I'm good. And that's all that matters to me. Yeah. Because they're angry, angry, angry. You'll see things like crotch, crotch goblins. That you, I mean, you've seen words that are just like, oh. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why are you doing this to us? It's the worst thing you could do to the movement of being child-free. You know, to, 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 to use words, some are truly, truly, truly despicable in, in how they view parents. And what will you expect parents to do back to you? Love that? Of course not. You have to give them their pride and allow it, even though some of it is false, but much of it is there. And I'm happy for those kids because they have good parents. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're if you could give anyone advice who is getting those comments said to them and struggling to navigate that, what would you say? I would say, take a breath, count to 10 before you lash out, understand where they are coming from, because many of them want to be where they are. I once had a, a friend of ours say, you know, I think I understand why I'm so angry at you. You get to sleep late on a Sunday morning. You can have sex anytime you want. You can read a book in quiet. You can make plans to go away. We can't. 24 hours a day, we can't. And I'm just jealous. Now, that is something that we don't even think about. So we have to have compassion for what these people are saying to us. I don't think they're saying it to be mean to us. Many of them really feel it. And, and they want to express those feelings. And like I said, some are jealous and they want you to be like they are. So take a deep breath. Do not lash out. It will not help you because you're going to go into the push-pull dance of dysfunction. 
I call it the dysfunctional cha-cha-cha. I'm right, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right, get nowhere. Acknowledge it and say, thank you for caring about me. I see that you really want me to, to feel your happiness. And someday I hope I can prove to you that I'm just as happy and just as happy that you're my friend and get it because I'm really hoping that you do. It kind of puts them on the, you know, away from the defensive because they can't lash out at you at that point. When you say, I'm so grateful that you really care about me. Okay, some may overcome that and keep on keeping and keeping and keeping and keeping. Remember what I said? Just smile and feel your pride, feel your joy, feel. And this happens later as you keep going and getting older, you know, because you begin to see more and your eyes are open more. And when you go to Walmart and you hear the screeching and the screaming and the carrying on, you go, ah, uh-huh, mm-hmm, not me. <laughs> <laughs> You go to a you know restaurant and and this is so funny. My sister and I were having lunch the other day, and all of a sudden something something was banging up against me. And she looked at me like, uh oh. And I turned around and there was this little kid smiling at me. Ah! It's like, oh, I mean, well, they know, they know, they know. You know. And the mother was like, sit down, stop it, turn around, stop it. I just smiled. <laughs> Um, or in the plane when the little darling hits you in the back with the foot. Yes. You turn around and you go, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. I'm fine. <laughs> we do need child-free areas on the plane, but that's a whole topic. Someday. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I really appreciate your messaging here of having understanding for where they're coming from and compassion. And I, I know personally, like, I could have so easily been a parent because that's what I thought I was going to do. So why hold it against other people that end up in parenthood? Because we all had the same conditioning or we, similar. We don't want to say what we hear from them. We do not want to say, well, we have it better than you. Because what is that saying? What is that doing? It's doing the cha-cha-cha. You yeah. never get an ending to that because they'll always be right. They want that control and you're the victim, but you stay in control, you know, because it's sad, but true. If you feel that joy, that real joy of your choice, it can't be denied and you, nobody can get to you. Mm. Nobody, unless it's a parent. That's hard. Yeah. <laughs> That's, hard. That's hard. But again, even with a parent, I love you for loving me. I love you for being afraid that I'm missing out. I love you if you love them. Because many people do not love those parents. And many times the choice is I don't want to be a parent because of what I've seen you do to me. I don't want to do the abuse that I've suffered with. And I think I will. Genetically, it's in me. Epigenetically, maybe. Right. You know, it's, it's something that's there. Uh, same thing with illness. There are so many people that have faced really severe challenges and illness. And they don't want to do that. They don't want to do that to another human. Yeah. Yeah. What has been the highlight of your child-free life? Oh, good one. Let me think on that one. It's just really interesting. I think having reached that age, that age where everybody was, you were going to regret it. And being able to look back and say without hesitation, no regrets, none, nunca, nothing, nothing, not even a nanosecond. Um, I finally reached that age at, at almost 80. 
that I can yeah. say that. Oh. And so I guess it's here, you know, and now speaking with you and knowing that there's so many out there who are waving that that torch. Uh, and I, and I, I, I don't have it with me. I usually have a baton. I hand it over to you now oh. because I want you to be the conductor of this and keep this orchestra going. Keep the joy. Keep the positivity. Keep teaching. Keep reaching. There's so many out there who today, after they listen to this, will say, whoa, and you have affected a life forever, forever by doing this. So keep mm. doing it. Thanks. I'm getting emotional now. <laughs> it's a, it's, it is emotional, and it's in, in a good way. Because remember we said nurturing? This is yeah. nurturing. This is helping. This is making people feel validated and not... Yes. Hedonistic, unloving, uh, irresponsible, uh, blah, 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 you know, and you can do that. And, and it'll give meaning to your life for the rest of your life because I'm now retired. And many of my friends are, what do we do now? <laughs> and I'm not watching the prices, right? No objection to the prices, right? Or anybody watching it. You know, I mean, I don't want to get into trouble for that, but I'm alive and I'm active and I'm excited and I'm passionate. And writing two books has been a mind blower. And, and, oh, and those who think I'm running to the bank, if I had written Fifty Shades of Grey of an aging octogenarian who's a sexual delight, I would have been running to the bank. But no, I'm not running to any bank. But one by one, I affect the life of somebody who reads Confessions of a Child-Free Woman or What You Don't Want Children, and they begin to get it. And then they share it. So here I am at almost 80 and I still have that passion. And I still, it takes up a lot of my day because I'm on Instagram, child-free under, underlying guru. I'm on Facebook, confessions of child-free people. I mean, this continues and it takes up about half of my day every day. Not to mention the people who reach out to me personally. I answer them. It you do. Time. I do. So you know what? As you get to be, if you're lucky enough to reach your 80s, you remember this. I would hate to think that you're still needed, but I have a feeling you will be. Even your age. Um, it gives you a reason to wake up in the morning. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Be proud. Be happy. Keep on trying to reach others. Even if it's one person. Do it. Someday yeah. I'll, I'll meet you in person and give you a hug. Oh, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you so you. much, Marsha for what you're doing thank you the people who are listening to you it's up to us to get out there and feel proud we are child free by choice or child free by fate but we're happy mm, yeah i think that's a perfect way to to end this i do yeah. too oh thank you thank you and thank you for your time today i'll catch you next time hey don't go yet I have something really exciting to share with you. I created a community for child-free people. That's right, a place for us all to hang out, get to know each other, and become friends. So if you could use some more child-free friends in your life, please come hang out with us. It's like we have our own private social media network. Inside the club, we have weekly virtual meetups via Zoom. We have a community feed with ongoing posts and discussions so we can continue our friendship outside of our virtual meetups. And down the road, 
we're going to have in-person meetups and take these relationships offline and in-person. So if you want in, head to wnk-club.com. That's wnk, as in we're not kidding, dash c-l-u-b dot com. I can't wait to see you in the club.